You are listening to If These Woods Could Talk, a production of the Rhinelander District Library and part of the WXPR Community Podcast Project, an initiative to amplify community voices. More info can be found at wxpr.org. In early December, the Rhinelander District Library Foundation kicked off its annual Said Vig Holiday Book Fund with an appearance of the namesake son. Bob Vig spoke about his late father, whose life was impactful in his community, wherever he made that community. Said was an educator, a school superintendent, and a naturalist. This is part one of our first two-parter here on If These Woods Could Talk, and this will primarily be Bob's recollections of his father. Part two will have more stories from audience members who knew and very clearly admired Said. Thanks for coming. Um, we have our special guest here, Bob Big, and his wife, uh, Susie. There she is. I asked Bob to come because we're starting our uh, Rhinelander District Library Foundation, our holiday book fund today. The letters have been sent off by the by the mailman here, so yeah, um, yeah, good, 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 good. So yeah, so I asked Bob to come and kind of help us remember a little bit more about said Big and his lovely wife Marvel, and um, I I just have wonderful images of, of said and the the story that comes to my mind is listening to that the fact that he would come in here when he first started the fund. Um, 38 years ago, and would check on it and see how it was doing, and was always very was very always excited about how much money it was it was doing. So, uh, how much money it was making, and as we know, the Holiday Book Fund um, is uh, money that's raised, and it goes directly to for the staff to be able to buy um, new hardcover books and some other materials, but mostly new hardcover books, and they get the nice book plate inside. Um, it says Cedric. I think it's a new one this year. Didn't it say it was going to be Cedric? A big or something. With the year? Yeah, I think uh, Deb told us that. Yeah. So, um, so I know for me, it's really nice to know that, um, when I open a book, it comes from the library and it's got the book plate. It, it's really, mm-hmm. it feels really heartwarming yeah. to me. So, um, so thank you very much. We're just going to talk. Bob's going to talk for a little bit, and then I know we probably all have stories of Bob and Marvel, so we'll just share those afterwards. And um, I do have. Um, oh, there's coffee. I mean, uh, cider and snacks here, and. Um, there's a card if you want to sign for Bob for coming. Thank you for coming over there. There's extra donation letters if anybody's interested and wants to fill one out. That would be wonderful also. So, um, so yeah. So, welcome, Bob. Okay, thank you. 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 Thank you.
Thank you. I'm honored to be here today today to talk a little bit about my dad, my mom, and uh, and our, our family. Um, I Monday earlier this week I developed a nasty head cold, so I apologize if I cough or sneeze or something, but it's not COVID. I, I double check that because it's, it's been uh, in my past a few times, but not very often. But um, anyway, I, you know, we came up uh, last night and we stayed at, my mom and dad had a place on Lake, uh, Sugar Camp Lake, so we stayed there last night. And uh, this morning, ironically, and I think uh, maybe it was my dad, having an influence on today or something but anyway this morning uh, our neighbor on the lake Ron Scoggin the local realtor Ron called and he said that yesterday he noticed a loon out on the lake you know it was in a in a little bit of water but it wasn't flying away or anything and so he thought uh, it, he thought well it probably gone by this morning but it was out there it's still out there so Ron called uh, wildlife uh, rescue group here and then they referred him to the loon rescue group so he called them and it's, it was interesting it was a husband and wife that go around uh, northern Wisconsin and they'll go into uh, the UP uh, or wherever and rescue loons and uh, geese uh, swans and, and different types of birds and so they came uh, they live over in Tomahawk and they're totally volunteers. I mean, it's a husband and wife. And uh, it was funny that Ron, <laughs> the husband was kind of giving his wife advice and she was pushing back. <laughs> and Ron says, he says, yeah, he said, you think they're married? They actually <laughs> And yeah, they are. But they came and uh, it was really interesting. Uh, they uh, had different types of boats and they, uh, they had one that was a flat bottom, they call it a John boat, and uh, there was a little bit of ice on the lake, but it wasn't thick enough to walk on. So she set, his wife went out maybe 500 yards or so, and uh, in this boat, she pushed it out with uh, ice pick type things and uh, had a cable attached to it, of course, in case it <laughs> goes in, he wants to see her the next day <laughs> but uh she uh, it probably took three hours or so and uh she went out and they went out and rescued this uh this uh, loon uh, and they say yeah the loons are they don't like people they they look they want to kill you essentially that's what they said and, uh, but they need so much room they need 70 feet of water evidently to, to, to get out of the water so of course there wasn't that and so she went out and she netted the loon got out there and brought them back and saved them and now they send them to Anigal, uh, with a group that that rehabs birds like loons and then uh, there's a company somewhere around here that uh, they fly the loons down to Florida and then they let the loon loose in the ocean. Anyway, so it was really an interesting start to the day. And, uh, I, my dad would have loved it. He would, uh, it would have been an article. It would have been a lot of different things. But it was very interesting. It was as if he uh, wanted to start uh, the day off appropriately. 
But anyway, I, I'm really, uh, as I said, I'm honored to be here and to talk about uh, some thoughts I've had on, on my dad, uh, the effect he had on me growing up and my brother and our interests. Um, but uh, I, I wanted to also say right away that uh, it wasn't just my dad. Uh, my mom, of course, uh, was part of this whole deal. And uh, I wanted to, it was so recent that I wanted to refer back to something Jimmy Carter said last week after Rosalind died. Mm -hmm. And he said, he said, Rosalind was my equal partner in everything I ever accomplished. She gave me wise guidance and encouragement when I needed it. As long as Rosalind was in the world, I always knew somebody loved and supported me. But that, my dad would have said that same thing about my mom. Uh, she was, uh, she wasn't the upfront person my dad was, but she was behind the scenes. And none of these things would have happened without my mom's involvement. Um, I remember she was the head editor on his books, and you know, she did all that stuff. And, but I uh, just wanted to acknowledge her. Uh, but anyway, uh, so I, it was quite an exercise that I've gone through um, when Julie called me about you know, saying a few words today. And uh, I was surprised at how much I'd kind of forgotten about how I, things that happened when I grew up with my, with my dad. And uh, so it was interesting. Um, of all the, uh, you know, all the experiences we had and how he's really influenced my interests. And uh, he, uh, a lot of my activities were definitely influenced by him. And character-wise, uh, a few of his good traits broke <laughs> off on me, <laughs> but I developed my own bad ones. <laughs> but uh, character-wise, I remember him, he, he was always, uh, very dedicated to whatever he wanted to accomplish. He's a hard worker. Uh, but what I really remember about him the most was, you know, in the 18 years that I lived at home, pretty much full time, uh, he never ever once said anything bad about anybody. Never heard a criticism, which is amazing. And that one didn't rub off. <laughs> I so I'm not quite as tolerant as he is. Um, but uh, he, you know, his passion, he had a couple passions, as you all know. Uh, nature, of course, was a big passion of his, and so was education. And uh, the best of all worlds for him is when he could bring those two things together and educate, you know, and still maintain the connection to the outdoors, wildlife, and nature. And uh, there were some things he did that really uh, accomplished that for him. One, of course, was uh, his column. He had a 60 years, for 60 years he wrote this weekly column called Woodsmoke. And uh, he was dedicated to that. Jeez, we, we'd come up here, even when I was in school, but especially when we, I'd come up here after I was, Susie and I were married, and we'd be playing cards at night till 11, 12 at night. And we'd all go to bed. Man, my dad would go right to his office and we'd hear typing half of the night. And he'd be <laughs> typing to finish up this column. It was so important. Uh, and uh, so that, that proved to be uh, kind of 
the type of thing you want to accomplish between integrating education and, and nature. Another thing he had is uh, he had a little radio program that uh, he would record uh, most nights and we'd hear the recorder go on and off and him you know, editing himself. Uh, so that was a, a, a real positive for him. Uh, he also, uh, he also uh, started the School of Arts with Dorothy Gildy, and that was another integration of nature and education for him, which he felt really good about. But I think probably the, the one thing that really uh, made him feel good was uh, the creation of the Cedric A. Big Outdoor Classroom, Cavoc, because that really brought what he believed in together and accomplished what he really wanted, you know, bringing nature into education of young, young people, and they could experience nature in real time out at Cabot. Mm -hmm. So that, that worked out really, really great for him, and he was really proud of that. And of course, the book fund, uh, <laughs> that was uh, a driving force for him as well. He was really into that. And I'll talk about that in just a few minutes, a little bit more. But uh, before that, I thought uh, I'd kind of talk about some of the ways that my dad influenced the interests I have. I mean, I, uh, for example, fishing. Uh, fishing was a big thing, and, and when I started thinking about today, I thought back, I was amazed at how far back I thought about an episode of fishing with my dad. I mean, I was, we were living in Richmond. Uh, my dad was the principal in Rhinelander, but then he took a job in the Richmond for five or six years as superintendent, and then he came back to Rhinelander as superintendent. But while we were here in New Richmond, I was probably five or six years old, and I can just picture this. We were on the shore of this lake in Somerset, and uh, we were bass fishing. And you know, with bass, you catch little ones, you catch bigger ones. And uh, they had size limits uh, back then. And uh, so, my dad being the person he was, of course anything under this size limit he would certainly not keep, even if it was dead. And of course, <laughs> we killed a few of them, you know, with the, catching them with the, with the hooks and stuff. And, and so, my dad would put those dead fish in a little container and stick them off to the side. Uh, didn't want to leave them floating in the water, but we obviously didn't, he didn't want to take them home either. Uh, so we fished, we finished fishing, caught some nice bass, and uh, we went up, uh, my dad and my brother, my brother was there too, and uh, they went up to the car, and uh, they were greeted by a game warden. So the game warden was up there and said, hey, how's the fishing today? And my dad said, oh, it was good, it was good, we caught some nice bass. And uh, he said, do you mind if I take a look? And go ahead, oh, go ahead, here's my Creole, you know, look in. So he game would looked in there, and here was this, saw this little container with these dead fish in there. <laughs> <laughs> these little undersized fish. And he said, what do you, you, you know there's a size limit? And my dad said, yeah, we caught a few, but we threw them back or certainly didn't plan to take them home. So the game warden said, well, here's a container full of these fish. And uh, of course, I had 
gone to the bush and picked them up and wanted and said, why are we throwing these away? So put them in here, we'll take them home. But <laughs> so the game warden, I, 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 my dad said, well, my son must have done this. He must have accidentally put them in there. Well, the game warden didn't take that <laughs> statement. So he said, you're going to have to come in with us. So they hauled them. He hauled us all into court. There was a judge there. I don't know if it was a municipal judge that just happened to be there that day. And uh, he wrote my dad up, gave him a ticket, and uh, for catching undersized fish. And, uh, and, and I think the biggest worry was is that this is, he was a new principal in, or a new superintendent in Richmond. And the thought was, well, is he going to be embarrassed with his name in the paper and all that? And I, and I, I don't know if it ever was in the paper, but, but that was my start of fishing. That was my first uh, outdoor interest, my first outdoor commitment was to fishing. And then after that, we did a lot of different types of fishing. Uh, we moved back to Rhinelander and we would fish, uh, trout fish the streams. So we'd go to the deer skin or prairie or bear skin, uh, noisy creek. So we fished a lot and with my brother. And of course, uh, my dad was a pretty good fisherman and I was okay, but my brother Dick was, he was the consummate fisherman. I mean, my dad and I would wade, we were fishing for trout, of course, and my dad and I would wade and fish up the stream or down the stream and my brother would be you know 100 feet behind us or so we'd catch some or not catch some but he'd always right behind us he'd catch all these fish <laughs> he, he knew what he was doing <laughs> we did uh, but so we fished around here a lot and uh eventually uh when i was probably 12 or 13 we my dad uh decided to go to canada fishing there so we would uh, take the canoe, put it on the car, and, and drive to Sault Ste. Marie. And there was a train that would take you up, I don't know, a couple of hours or so, to a ranger station, drop you off. And then uh, we would canoe across some lakes, three, four big lakes, and then uh, ultimately end up in a, a trout river called Sand River and uh, take a week or so to make that, that trip uh, uh, kind of a circle because we'd come back to the ranger station and uh, take it back down to Sault Ste. Marie. And so we did that fishing and uh, on one occasion we took uh, uh, Ann's husband, Don Kemeter with us, Don went with us, and we did the whole thing, went through the lakes, uh, and at the end of the lake, in order to get the Sand River, you gotta do a fairly long portage. And so we went to the nor uh, a spot where we normally camp and uh, slept overnight there. And next morning, uh, my dad told me, he said, well, we're not sure where we are. <laughs> we're not, we're, we don't know where the trail, we can't find the trail that goes to the river. So we just headed a certain direction. And fortunately, we ran into the Sand River and we started fishing for trout, caught some nice trout, and, uh, and went down uh, went down river and we had left the car that year so we didn't have to go back up through the ranger station. Uh, so that was uh, the progression of 
from uh, the lake catching undersized bass to going <laughs> to Canada catching nice trout. And then uh, after that, we progressed in Canada. We started to, uh, going on fly-ins. We'd, we'd uh, fly in via an outfitter, and we'd drive, uh, we'd drive up to Sioux Lookout, and uh, then we would uh, stay at, a, at an outfitter, and they'd drop us off out at one of their cabins uh, for a week at a time. And, and we'd catch a lot of walleyes and northerns, and of course, my dad loved that. Uh, in fact, uh, one, at one of the lakes we were at, uh, we fished and we found a hole, I mean, where the walleyes were just biting great. They were beautiful walleyes, 19, 23 inches long, mm -hmm. and we'd catch one after another, and that was a highlight of all, for all of us, but especially for my dad. And, man, he, he just couldn't get over how beautiful these fish were, and mm -hmm. the naturalist that he was in the law-abiding citizen that he was. He, he could hardly, for, he had to really force himself to throw these fish back. He wanted to keep all of them. He wanted to keep all these walleyes. But uh, so that was a, a great trip. And he, uh, he went with us. Uh, he took his best friend, uh, Jack Millward, and he and Jack uh, went to Canada on these fly-ins with us till they were almost well, about 90 years old so it was uh, it was an, an adventure and it was a lot of fun but uh, so anyway that was kind of the fishing aspect and then uh, some other activities of course we did some hunting and we'd go grouse hunting uh, and again my dad and I would have our shotguns and we hear grouse and see grouse, but we very seldom shot a grouse. <laughs> we put him. But there again, my brother, he was a great shot. And he could shoot the, he could hit the grouse and, and, uh, and find them somehow, find them, even though they are hard to get once you knock them down. Uh, so that was uh, a, the primary uh, experience of our of hunting and uh, uh, we also uh, got into as you can imagine canoeing uh, canoeing was a, a really big deal for my dad and <coughs> when I was small we would uh, uh, when we were you know, a small being I was you know five six seven years old eight years old we would every Saturday afternoon my dad would come home from school because he'd be working Saturday mornings, and Saturday afternoon he'd come home and he'd put the canoe on the roof and, of the car and we'd head off and we'd go to a different pothole every week. Usually they were some lakes, but mainly potholes that didn't even have names, and <laughs> check it out, and of course he, he loved to, to explore. And, and so that was uh, the initial introduction into canoeing, and then of course, we went canoeing a lot of rivers around. The Pelican is a favorite, uh, Wisconsin River, uh, Tomahawk River. But our favorite place to canoe was the Flambeau. That was our whitewater canoeing up, uh, up around uh, Park Falls is where we put in. And then we would have a two-day uh, camping trip where we put in and we'd go down the North Fork of the Flambeau to where the two forks come together, North and South Fork, and then we'd camp there and then we'd go on down 
to uh, the flammable flowage around, uh, it was around ladies' fat type distance, and then we uh, we take out there. But we would do this uh, usually three, four times a summer. Mm -hmm. Go down to Flamble, and that was fun. Then we'd fish, mm -hmm. uh, and there were some really challenging rapids uh, mm -hmm. on the way down, Cedar Rapids, and there was Beaver Dam, and uh, so Flamble Falls. Uh, so it was it was a great time. It was uh, not funny, but actually the trip, one of the trips down to Flamble, probably our last trip down, I think. That's when my dad had his first heart attack. Um, we were camping uh, on, in, on a, a hill that was above the Cedar Rapids uh, uh, type of falls, and uh, so it was it was pretty ex exhausting walking up and down this hill. And so he had some angina, and fortunately, the other uh, canoe that was with us it was a good friend of ours. And he was emergency room physician, so he had a son. So, but then you know, my dad started feeling good, so he said, "I feel fine," you know. So, but we finished the rest of the trip, went through the foliage, and uh, we pulled out, and uh, he felt fine. He said, "No, I don't want to go to the hospital. None of this." And so we came back to Rhinelander, but we tricked him into going to the hospital. And uh, they said, yeah, it's a good thing you brought him in. <laughs> so he spent the night there, but he, you know, he made it through that. But, uh, but yeah, that was, uh, that's how canoeing started and ended, sort of. Um, so we did the canoeing. Um, uh, let me see what else, what else say. Oh yeah, there, I don't want to belabor these things, but uh, and then uh, my dad also got me into skiing uh, when I when we first came to Rhinelander after moving here again from New Richmond though there was a place called Maplecrest out on Highway 17 North uh, it was uh, a farmer's field essentially and uh, he had put up he put up some rope toes and there were these hills that you could ski down but they had, uh, you couldn't turn, there were ruts, but you had to follow the ruts down. <laughs> and your skis, the skis we had were just hickory skis, <laughs> hickory skis, and uh, you wore your regular snow boots, and you had on your wool pants and your wool shirt, and you get up there and you go straight down, <laughs> you know, straight down. And uh, that was my initial introduction to skiing, and then later on my dad, uh, to, uh, organize some trips with the school bus to the UP. We'd go up to Porky's or Indian Head, and that was uh, that was really a change in uh, both the uh, difficulty of skiing as well as your equipment and what you wore. Uh, so uh, that was great, and then uh, and that kind of set the stage and, and moved on. To become more serious about skiing, uh, and but what was tied to skiing was skating too. I mean, my dad loved to skate, and uh, so as a kid growing up, I would we lived on the south side. We lived over on Keenan Street, so we walked to Pioneer Park during the winter every day, 
and they had a hockey rink, outdoor hockey rink, and they had a great big round pond that was frozen as well that they sprayed. Uh, so we would go there from 8 in the morning till 10 at night. We'd be there skating, <laughs> playing hockey, you know, we'd have magazines in our pants as our shin guards. <laughs> and, uh, playing a lot of hockey and, and then breaking from hockey and going over and skating on the big pond with uh, with our classmate girls, girlfriends, or anyone. They were, they were just uh, better skaters than we were, but we, we'd go over there and skate, and then we'd go back and play hockey. So hockey was really uh, a first love. My brother, uh, Dick, played hockey, and he was really good at it. He, he uh, in fact, the Rhinelander high school team won the state four years in a row uh, when Dick was in high school. Uh, but I mean, there weren't the number of teams that there are now, obviously. But for some reason, and my dad had been a hockey coach, but for some reason, they dropped the program uh, when I was probably in uh, middle school. And uh, so there was no hockey, because I would have played hockey. I loved it. But uh, I had skiing, so I ended up, you know, detouring to ski and it turned out great I mean uh, enjoyed it a lot um, and then uh, golf I love golf uh, however my dad had nothing to do with my love of golf uh, that was my mom she started playing golf when we were in New Richmond and I'd follow her around I was five or six years old I'd follow her around the course and I'd look for golf balls while she was playing golf and uh, as far as my dad was concerned, he used to say, yeah, he said, golf is a, a great way to ruin a nice walk. <laughs> that was his attitude about golf. And he did play uh, occasionally on couples night just to appease my mom. Uh, so that, that was, that was, uh, that was uh, something very interesting for us. Um, it, throughout all this, um, we, you know, through all these interests we had, my, my dad kind of developed some kind of neat traditions for us, for, for our family. And one was skating. Every Thanksgiving for years, we would, uh, we would, we would go out on Boom Lake. And th it was cold enough that back then, it was cold enough that uh, the lake would freeze over and uh, usually you'd try to beat the snow and usually could so the lake, you know, Boom Lake could be pretty clear and, and very glassy. And so we'd go skating there over uh, Thanksgiving weekend and uh, it was especially fun when we had our kids, our two girls. We would, one of them would skate, one of them would ride on my back, you know, a little pack sack type deal. And uh, so that was a lot of fun. And the other thing we would do that uh, was kind of a tradition established by my dad is we'd go out to Phil DeWalt's uh, property and we would cut Christmas trees for ourselves uh, for Christmas and then he'd, he'd bring it home, of course, and we'd haul it back to Madison on our roof of our car. So those are traditions uh, that he uh, really um, he really uh, enjoyed and so did we. And uh, he was into photography big time, especially he loved nature photography. 
when we'd go to Canada, he'd, we'd be looking for him after shore lunch, and he'd be up on some hill or cliff, little cliff, and he'd be down taking picture of a snake or <laughs> blueberries over here. Yeah, so he loved the photography, and uh, one thing that he always did with our family as well, uh, as well as some others, obviously, but uh, he would take pictures of girls when they were little in a field of daisies in the summer. So he'd take a, our one, uh, my niece, Debbie, when she was, you know, four, five, six, seven years old. There's a picture of her in the daisies. And then our two girls, when they got to be that age, there'd be a picture of them in the daisies. And so, and then, uh, and then since then he took some similar pictures of other kids from the area uh, in the daisies. I don't know if any of your kids were exposed to that or not, but he really enjoyed that that tradition. Uh, so yeah, uh, it was great growing up with my dad, and uh, he had a huge influence on my interests and uh, and what how I looked at the world. Uh, and as I mentioned earlier though, I wanted to bring up the book club again. And as Julie said, you know, he was really committed to that. And uh, he would come down, as Julie mentioned too, he'd come down every day to see how, how the funds were coming in. And uh, he, he could have called, you know, but no, he had to come down here. He had to hang out with everybody and talk about it, look at the new books. Uh, but uh, when we'd come, uh, we were married and had kids, and we'd come back here. And I remember those days where he'd be sitting either in the front room in front of a card table or at the kitchen table, and he'd have this stack of letters, hundreds of these letters, and he would felt obligated to personally sign every one of them. And then he would write a little note on each one, uh, thanking the people for their donations and, or, or something maybe more personal on that letter. Uh, but he, it was meant a lot to him. And uh, you know, the fund, I think, uh, correct me, Julie, but it raised over a quarter of a million dollars since its inception. and. Uh, it's gone to buy books uh, for generally young youngsters, young adults, and uh, I didn't know about the plaque in them or whatever, but I'm mm -hmm. sure uh, hopefully he, the fine on being overdue was large on those books. <laughs> <laughs> That's another way to have gotten money. You know? uh, but uh, yeah, so it uh, it was a, a big deal for him, and you know I I'd like to. I want to kick off the fund here for this year. Um, I talked to Ann Kemeter, uh, Don had passed uh, back in August, and I was talking to her about it, what would be a good donation in Don's name, and she immediately said, well, the Holiday Book Fund. So I said, yeah, well, we'll take care of that. And so we're gonna make a donation for that. And uh, so, yeah. Why don't you have a drink of water and we'll uh, 
Stop yeah. for a minute, and then we'll ask it's, you some questions. And, sure. And oh, a lot I, of people I, here have stories. I um, meant to say, actually, before, <laughs> interrupt me anytime or ask yeah. questions. <laughs> Thanks for listening to If These Woods Could Talk, a production of Rhinelander District Library and part of the WXPR Community Podcast Project, an initiative to amplify community voices. For more community podcasts or for podcasts produced by WXPR, go to wxpr.org and look for a podcasts tab. Or just search for WXPR Public Radio anywhere you get podcasts. Also, a special thanks to the Old Pine Road Band for the musical theme. To learn how you can record your own story of the Northwoods, or to suggest a topic or storyteller, contact the library or check out the website at rhinelanderlibrary.org.